0: yeah oh. okay well neither <laughs> of oh, you said okay. anything or reset reset hello <laughs> uh, oh, you're listening to the odd sisters podcast i'm marcy i'm allison and i'm julia
1: oh, and i'm sorry oh. for last
0: week <laughs> you were going to apologize for that for a while yeah <laughs> it was worth yeah. it <laughs> was it <laughs> <laughs> no uh, uh i'm gonna tell you guys a crazy story today we're going to go okay. on a whirlwind adventure. Mm. Uh, by that, I mean we're staying exclusively within the city of Venice. So, not really whirlwind, <laughs> but uh, <if laughs> key, a big story. So, Venice okay. Wind. What? Venice, Venice wind. wind. Venice <laughs> Wind Adventure. <laughs> if the map of Italy is shaped like a very stylish knee high leather boot, then Venice would be found at the top, right at the crook of the knee. So, mm. Italy's like a. Venice is all the way up here. Like, it is about as mm. far north in Italy as you yeah. um, can get. There are no surviving historical records on how Venice was founded, so historians have had to piece together from varying stories um, of how it came to be. And the consensus and most accepted version of events is that the original population of Venice consisted mainly of refugees from nearby Roman cities. So Venice is actually built on top of 118 small islands, which I (laughs) never knew. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. That explains a lot. It explains a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And originally, these islands would have been a perfect place to hide. Uh, At the time, both Germanic and Hun forces were constantly pushing from the north, trying to invade as far into Italy as they could get before being pushed back and then trying again. And then push back and trying again. So rather than constantly having their northern villages ransacked, the refugees made a new home on the various islands. So they just kind of scattered into the winds. And there's like six or seven different cities where these people came from rather than stay there and just constantly be torn by war. Wow. So... The people of the island lived there for a while in their own community communities, forming various alliances and pacts, each island banding together over time to eventually form one large city with an elected leader. Uh, that's a very, very, very simplified version of events. <laughs> um, it took hundreds of years to suss out lots of people or lots of different popes, lots of backstabbing. It was basically a micro version of Alice's Borgia episode. So it, it's all the tiny islands, right? Like there's just tons and tons and tons of them. And each one has its own family and its own things. And they're banding together and they're. That's crazy. And it's just this whole thing until eventually enough of them band together to start voting and becoming a a giant population rather than a whole bunch of little populations. And it Mm -hmm. really is like a micro version of what you were talking about in Rome, Allison. Like it's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. So uh, Italy at the time was still forming from the fall of the Roman empire, like we talked about and a city that was so far North, could have been easily lost but it wasn't from the 9th to the 12th century venice really began to form into something important with the large political within the large political map of italy being so far north became an advantage as it developed into a city and it became a major force in naval and commercial power so it's also right mm-hmm. on the water like yeah it's basically a massive port city um, mm-hmm. and because of the islands and the canals um it's really protected. So it's kind of a a unique spot. So they became known as La Serenissima or the Republic of Venice. And they basically wiped out piracy along their coast and provided a safe and secure trade route for the Byzantine Byzantine Empire and nearby Asia. And by the 13th century, Venice was the most prosperous city in all of Europe. And the people who lived there, some of the (laughs) most wealthy. Wow. It was Boomtown. Crazy. (laughs) Boomtown. Boomtown. The leading families vied with each other to build grander and grander homes along the canals. Stories and stories high, towering over the water's edge. And it is here that our story begins. So, in 1453, Constantinople fell to an army of Turks and became known known as Istanbul. We kind of mentioned that a little bit when we were talking about the Daftus Cave. Uh, Episodes. Mm, yeah. And this is uh, huge because it wasn't only the shift in name change from Constantinople to Istanbul, but the war basically wiped out the entire Byzantine Empire. Byzant- is it Byzantine or Byzantine?
1: Uh, I've heard both. I've also heard like by Byzantian? Byzantine. I'm going to say Byzantine. Yeah.
0: So it put an end to the trade relations with Venice the Italians didn't get along very well with the Turks and this resulted in 26 years of war between the two jeez so the economy in in Venice suffered greatly because the Turkish Empire or the the, the because Constantinople was such a huge trade partner Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. Venice Um, now there was no trade Uh, and a lot of the routes were being blocked by the war so less than no trade it was like zero And so their economy was suffering greatly. Um, So they needed to come up with a solution. They decided to make a bid for peace. And the Republic elected Giovanni Dario, who was a merchant and a notary of moderate wealth who had been serving the Republic for quite some time. They tasked him with taking a peace treaty to Turkey to negotiate for peace, basically. Mm -hmm. And he did. So Giovanni returned home sometime later. It is... 1,747 kilometers between Venice and Istanbul. Uh, And according to Google Maps, that's a 17 hour drive or a 339 hour walk. So (laughs) I'm going to split the difference and say it took him at least a month to get there, negotiate, and then come back because he's traveling by horse and like sleeping Mm. and, you know, anyway. Uh, But he did. Hmm. He should travel by nap. (laughs) <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> he did come back and with a very advantageous treaty that set Venice up to once again become one of the wealthiest places in europe so success he did a great job trade was resumed <sighs> war stopped and giovanni was heralded as a hero he was given wow, a title. that's all it took yeah i guess he did a good job interesting he must have been very charismatic yeah yeah they sent Uh, the right person well nobody (laughs) wants war right Uh, turkey like that's a long way you let it go for you let it go for 26 years well i mean they might have been trying to i don't know and then all it takes is some some guy to just go over there and be like hey hey we don't (laughs) want we don't want to fight anymore and we're really far away and we can actually help each other with trade like because they, they can, <laughs> Turkey's over here, and you kind of go around Greece like this, and then come up to Venice. And once you hit Venice, you're open to all of yeah. Sweden and everything that's north of Italy and Europe. Like it, it opens up Germany and Austria, and everything's all the way up yeah. there. So it really opens up a lot of trade routes for Turkey to mm-hmm. get stuff out and trade themselves, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. So it's advantageous. It's just. Mm-hmm. I'm just surprised nobody said that. You know,
1: <laughs> there's a lot years of weird <laughs> religious things happening too, right? So, yeah,
0: yeah, I, I guess, so. guess so. Anyway, trade resumed, <laughs> war stopped, and Giovanni was heralded a hero. He was given a title and land, and of course, money. He was also mm-hmm. given the nickname Savior of the Homeland. It's a very long nickname, but um, <laughs> Giovanni took a chunk of his riches and decided to build himself a large four story home as was Mm. tradition of all noble families. And he built it right (laughs) on the Grand Canal. As a cross, is tradition. It's tradition. (laughs) (laughs) So um, every every major family had their own palazzo, it's called, like a palace. And they're huge, huge, huge homes. One side is Mm -hmm. on the, the land side of an island, and the other side is right on the edge of the island, overlooking the canal. So the Grand Canal is where he built his, which was a big statement. So... Um, he hired an architect and a sculptor, and together they created a home that he dedicated to the city that had helped to make him who he was. So I'll show you a picture. If you can give me permission to share my screen, I'll allow it. <laughs> it's not me. I just want to. See. So this is the home he built. Can you see it? Yep. Wow. Okay. It's pretty big. This is just the front of it that's along the canal. Um, I'll show you a picture later that kind of shows the back end of it but it is massive and this down here on the bottom here Mm -hmm. I'll stop sharing now what it says is um, Giovanni Dario to the genius of the city so he dedicated the entire house to Venice it was like I wouldn't be who I was without Venice.
1: Oh, I thought it was to him. I thought it was like, to me. (laughs) The genius of the, city, you
0: know, meaning like the the innovation, the genius that is Venice is who I dedicate my life to. Right. Okay. Okay, Okay. sure. (laughs) (laughs) Construction on the home began in 1479 and was completed a short time after that. But unfortunately, poor Giovanni only spent a few years enjoying his newfound wealth Home and title before dying in 1484 so only five years later that sucks yeah the home Hmm. passed to his daughter marietta um or because it's 1480 whatever uh it passed to her husband vincenzo barbero uh, who was a wealthy spice merchant I wrote spicy merchant
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oops <laughs> and spicy actually, merchant <laughs> they actually already owned a grand home or a palazzo of their own um, but they oh. decided to move into their newly inherited one anyway because it was a little bit nicer and it was also on the grand canal whereas one of theirs was on one of the smaller canals so oh, uh, can you Medi- imagine <laughs> Marietta <laughs> and Vincenzo lived happily with their family in their palazzo on the Grand Canal for a few years until one day, Vincenzo, having run into some money problems, did Uh-oh. not return home. Ooh. His body was soon found; he'd been stabbed to death. And distraught and emotionally tortured by her husband's murder, Marietta threw herself into the canal outside of their home and drowned. Oh, oh man! Oh. So they Peach. only made it a few years too. Oh. The house then passed to the Do we have son, a house a curse on this house? Ooh. Oh the house then passed to their son vincenzo wait hold on jr. hold on did they not sell their other house how did they have so many money problems like that was theirs to oh sell. i'm sure they did at one point wow okay get your life together dude <laughs> they <then> passed <laughs> the house to their son vincenzo jr who also enjoyed a few years of bliss within the home with his family before being murdered by assassins from crete <laughs> and oh, that's okay. what all the information I have on that. <laughs> assassin's crete <laughs> Assassin's Creed. <laughs> yeah, he was in Crete, but Cretan assassins didn't come to him.
1: Uh, <laughs> he
0: went to Crete to do something, and he was ambushed by Cretan assassins. Oh, what well, what's what? Don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> that's nothing. interesting.
1: So. Here's the house. Passed. Ezio. Ezio. Yeah, Ezio, Ezio. Yeah. <laughs> he was saying bad things about them behind their back, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the house passed from Barbero family member
0: to Barbero family member, each one either dying mysteriously or falling into ruin before being sold in the early 1800s to an American mer- or, or Armenian merchant, Arbit Abdol. Ar- mm-hmm. Abdol. Yeah. Uh, in exchange for precious jewels. So I guess mm. the remaining Barbaro family was like, we're getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. So give us jewels. And what do you got, jewels? <laughs> <laughs> so, Deal. <laughs> uh, the merchant, who was a wealthy man, was looking to set up a home base in Venice and moved into the house, but he soon found his fortunes making a turn for the worst. And very soon after that, he was completely bankrupt and disgraced. Wow. With no way out, he threw himself into the Grand Canal and drowned in the <laughs> same place Marietta had Four hundred years before. What? Wow!
1: It's almost like we should stop building houses near canals. Yeah, right?
0: very convenient location. <laughs> yeah, is that how they sell the place to you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's and also an got easy way out. <laughs> yeah, just in case. Yeah. So Life escape. At this point, Venice was regarded one of the most elegant and refined cities in Europe. It mm. was like a kind of a jewel city. Mm. It had great influence in art and culture and literature. Um, and it had undergone some changes as well it was invaded by Napoleon in May of 1797 and then a treaty was signed between Austria and Napoleon in that October and it became part of the Austrian Empire same year 1797 in May it's taken by Napoleon and by October it's part of Austria then in 1805 it was back in Napoleon's hands and then back in Austria in 1814 which is where it stayed for a while (laughs) so they they a little
1: confusing in venice napoleon <laughs> so, just likes uh, to to flex his military capabilities yeah good. um in venice his tiny tiny hands it's kind of an interesting <laughs> thing uh
0: i didn't write it down but i can do a quick sidebar of napoleon was kind of heralded as like a savior in venice when he took over um because have you read the merchant of venice i don't mm. know oh don't know. a while ago So the Merchant of Venice takes, he the the Shylock character is a Jewish man living in Venice, which is a very Uh different uh, space than the people that we're talking about living on the Grand Canal because the Jewish people in Venice actually lived in a ghetto, which is kind of where that word comes from in the trends all over Europe. It was a gated community where the Jewish people had to live. They couldn't leave. Mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. they needed was in that community. And they just had to live in that one space. It was like, you go here and you stay here and you're not allowed outside of here. And it wasn't a very great place to live. No, mm-hmm. it wasn't like the nicest Doesn't sound property. like it. <laughs> no. So when Napoleon arrived, he actually opened up the gates and made a decree that, that the Jewish people could live and go wherever they wanted, that they mm-hmm. weren't confined to that space. So it really opened up Venice for kind of a cultural expanse of like things that weren't happening in other cities. So mm-hmm. kind of an interesting turn of events, but yeah. not part of what we're talking about because it's very far away from where this palazzo is, which is the focus of our story. So it is now part of the Austrian empire. During this time, a British scientist and historian decided to move to Venice, which despite not being sure who they owned allegiance to, was still a cultural hub. So it, like I said, it was like movers and shakers kind of thing. His name was Rodden mm-hmm. Brown. And he found a great yeah. deal on a four-story home on the Great Canal, on oh. the Grand Canal that had recently been vacated and he couldn't pass mm-hmm. them. Never a good uh, he sign.
1: Hmm? Never yeah. a good sign. like, this, this is too, too good to money. be true. <laughs>
0: somebody, somebody left the window open. <laughs> <laughs> he did very well at first. He was obsessed with writing and studying the histories of Venice and in particular with finding the gravestone of the banished Duke of Norfolk. Thomas Mowbray, Mowbray, sorry, who was actually mentioned in the Merchant of Venice. He's not a character, but they talk about him. (laughs) Uh, But Rodin might've been looking for more of a getaway from the stuffy British society at the time uh, and possibly saw Venice as a more culturally accepting city, but it was still the 1800s. And when it was discovered that he was in a relationship with another man, Rodin's finances suffered. No Mm. one would hire him. No one would let him into their archives anymore. He became like a cultural outcast in the city. Mm. Uh, So him and his partner actually lived together in the house for four years of happiness until 1842, when their bodies were discovered there as victims of a murder-suicide. Oh, shit. No. We're amping up. (laughs) Things Mm -hmm. are getting bad. Does nobody live in there for more than five years? It sounds like it's pretty turnover. Yeah. Except the mansion then passed to the hands of Countess Isabella de la Baume So she's a French Italian descent okay. uh, of French Italian. And uh, she was a cultural magnet for artists and writers. And it's at this time that Claude Monet visits the home and immortalized it in a painting, which I have. Oh. Mm. Let's see oh Oh. yeah 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 Yeah. you've definitely seen it yeah (laughs) i'd seen it before i was like oh yeah that house yeah Yeah. so monet stayed there with the countess and painted that and nothing bad happened to Monet, and nothing bad happened to the countess either she died of natural causes still rich in 1911 so wait when did she move in um just after murder uh browden so like 1850s (laughs) 1840. Oh, okay. So yeah, she was there for a while. Yeah. She was there for a long time. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, it was then purchased by an American millionaire named Charles Briggs. Uh, Charles led a lavish lifestyle. He seemed to be <laughs> pretty unapologetic about his tastes. Uh, he was said to have been openly gay and thought that the somewhat progressive Venetians would have been equipped to deal with it and kind of just handed it to them. Like he just put himself out there. It's like, this is who I am. Uh, apparently mm. not. Charles was run out of Italy as a result and fled to Mexico with his lover, where they both died from suicide shortly after. I <laughs> so, mean, oh my god! You know,
1: the Venice <laughs> might be like this kind of cultural hub, but it is still Italy, and they are still super Catholic. Super yeah.
0: Catholic. But there's also like uh, Venice at this time has a crazy reputation for like, like um, who's that guy? Casanova. Right, mm-hmm. like it's very like Italian lovers and these wild orgies and everything's just like very like progressive, but not mm-hmm. that progressive. Like it seems, no. still seems like it's got some some hangups. Yeah. Mm. So, because we're now in like like the war times, like we're not in, we're not talking like seventeen or fourteen hundreds. Like we're now in the nineteen hundreds. Like <sighs> people also I, have II, right? a,
1: a way of progressing. In one way and then staying very conservative in a different way. Very true.
0: We still are like that. Do so yeah. you so think that being American, he would know that? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry, I had yeah. to put that in there. Yeah no, no, it's <laughs> sorry awesome. American yes. listeners, but come
1: on. <laughs> um, <Get it> <laughs> So we're now in the <laughs>
0: 1970s, by the count time the Count of Turin, Filippo Gio- Gio- sorry, Filippo Giordano della Lanza. It's a long name. Right. He bought the yeah. Palazzo and was very quickly murdered by his lover, Raoul Balich, who later died a violent death after fleeing to London.
1: Are are we sure that the clown from It doesn't live under yeah. this Palazzo? In the
0: canal? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, Kit Lambert, who is the manager
0: of the Who, he then bought the palace. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a turn. Yeah. It was, We're yeah. talking about Filippo just a Filippo. moment ago. Filippo. Nope. <laughs> Kit Lambert. (laughs) Um, But it is said that he stayed at a hotel nearby because he stayed there a couple nights and was haunted by the many ghosts that he claimed infested the house. So he didn't even stay there. He bought it and then he was like, I can't handle this. Um, Mm. In the 1980s, Venetian businessman Fabrizio Ferrari bought the house and moved there with his sister, Nicoletta. Uh, He later lost all of his assets and his sister died in a car crash later that same Mm. decade. The financier, Raul Giardani, bought the palace, aiming to give it to his daughter. But after a series of economic setbacks and scandal, he died by suicide in 1993. Oh, my God.
1: So, <laughs> say with this house, though, one thing that's interesting is that the women who have died seem to be like collateral damage or like like mm-hmm. the car accident could be anything. It seems to mostly yeah. be after men.
0: Men. Yeah. <laughs> it
1: does, yeah. yeah,
0: Gay ones.
1: K- and
0: straight K-N. ones there is a lot yeah of men. just then <laughs> there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of gay <laughs> ones so uh, <laughs> plazo dario has a history that is incredibly tragic yeah um it's almost hard to believe because it's just one thing after another uh and uh-huh. that's because none of it's true <laughs> what Not- <laughs> None of it's true. Giovanni did die five years after building his home, but Marietta, Vincenzo, and their three sons, Gasparo, Giacomo, and Giovanni Jr. uh, died of natural causes. The Barbero family were happy owners of the splendid palace until 1659 without crimes or any mysteries, and the Armenian merchant did not die in the palace, um, but sold it for 480 pounds in 1837 to Rodin Brown who was not disgraced, or in fin- but was in financial constraints because the mansion was almost in ruin when he purchased it, which is why it was so cheap. So he sold it to a Hungarian count in 1842, probably making a substantial gain compared to the amount he initially paid for it. The English historian who lived his entire life in Venice did not die violently or by a murder-suicide, <clears throat> but uh, in a villa not far away of natural causes in 1883, when he was like 80 years old. Uh, Charles Briggs really was run out of Italy. Count Filippo really was murdered by his lover. And that seems to be where the bad history of the palazzo begins, forcing historical tales of its owners to become more and more tragic to fit with a modern dialogue. So I found this story and started researching it and then dug deeper and deeper and deeper into it and found that none of the stuff that was on all of the sites was true at all. This entire story that I told you was on Atlas Obscura and seven other sites without any sources being named at all. So it just wow. had all of those <laughs> stories up there that Rodin Brown died, that, that Marietta plunged into the canal, and so did the Armenian merchant over and over and over again. There's dozens, dozens of websites that are all telling the same story, and none of those things happened. All of those people just died of natural causes, but because It started with Charles Briggs and then Count Filippo was murdered there. Mm -hmm. But after that, we have Count Filippo's died and then there's the the guy from The Who that's like, it's haunted. I won't stay there because it's haunted. Mm. And you're right, like a car crash just happens. Financial ruins happens. You invest in the wrong thing. But once you put a narrative on a home like that, that it's the the cursed house, then suddenly it's not anybody's fault, right? So it's kind of an interesting deal between what's a good ghost story and what's a historically accurate story because i put a lot of work into this before i actually found the sources that were like nope here's the historical records of all these people dying naturally in their homes that's weird right yeah i mean it's a beautiful home <laughs> and it's crazy. Here, i'll show you some more pictures <laughs> so that's it now mm. But again, it has kind of fallen into ruin a little bit at the inside. Oh. And for some reason, for some reason, I pictured it being like, not like directly on the water. I don't nope, know why. Literally on the water. So see what I mean about the side of it is like, going yeah, way back? it's huge. Like, look again at the mm-hmm. inside of this home. We'll post mm-hmm. all these on Instagram. But it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. There's a the little picture of it. Oh, and then this is really neat. This is Venice. In 1870, <laughs> I haven't picked that up. What? Oh, sorry, <laughs> I had <to> zoom in. <laughs> yeah, it's a panorama. Like Enhance. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that oh, yeah, pretty? That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I won't be able to post that. So no, uh, I'll just maybe, Google it or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's um, on you guys. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was just like. Uh, again uh, it, it's not like Atlas obscura to me seems like a pretty good website to get a lot of information from there for things often mm-hmm. um, and it was just interesting how without anything it was just perpetuating these these stories mm-hmm. uh, and of people that I mean are, that's a lot of ghost stories <laughs> that's what I well, mean so what's what's important to you is it is it a ghost story that gets the facts right and isn't as creepy or a ghost story that is almost completely false but has a more of a creepy feeling to it yeah
1: it happens a uh, a lot <laughs> um with different things I mean even like we talked about in the the Borgia episode too with like you know when you're you're looking at footnotes for things and then suddenly you realize that all the footnotes are redirecting you to the same source that isn't like a credible source um and like even the episode that I wrote that were for next week, I had that happen where it was like I was researching something and there was this very very like elaborate statement, and then right next to it, it says citation needed, and then you mm-hmm. go and you dig a little bit more, and you're like, there is no other. This is not written anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> like where did you get exactly. this from? Or this? <laughs> it's credited. <laughs> this is to, what I feel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or it's
0: credited to something that also needs backing up. Yeah. But the use of yeah. that is, you know, it's like um, I listened to a podcast on like turn of the century Hollywood, and there's a book about early days in Hollywood that's just like a, a tell all tale. It's called Hollywood Babylon. But it's basically just this guy recounting stories that he heard. Uh, and mm-hmm. the podcast that I was listening to is fact checking everything. And often mm-hmm. when you look up these stories, the only sources for them are the book that doesn't have any sources like it's just like yeah the stories are the only source there's no there's no it and again it just takes word of mouth it's just kind of like how venice has no no historical records on how it started so historians have just had to say this is how it happened we think yeah it's just kind of a (laughs) messy way to write that's funny that's funny so yeah and you can go. I mean, you can go. The house is still there. You can visit it. Mm-hmm. You can't go inside. It's privately owned, but uh, <laughs> which is interesting. Say, like you would think, don't go would, inside <laughs> other people's homes. <laughs> you think that someone <laughs> would benefit off of it. Like at this point, with how yeah how, how many stories? rich those stories are, open it up. Like make it a. But there's a lot of museums in Venice, so maybe it's a little yeah, yeah, yeah. See it's here, we're great, like get on it.
1: <laughs> a great setting for what's that? Oh, is it Haunting LLC? Haunted LLC? Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Venice Hell House, Hell House LLC,
0: or Hell? Yeah, because it was the one that Sean thought was uh Demon House. Demon House. There we yeah. go. That was actually a pretty good movie, though. Yeah, that, was, the, other that one. One. yeah the other one was nice. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was not bad. Good tension in that one yeah yeah but that's that's exactly what i mean like that's not gory or anything it just comes down to tension scariness and and stories like that you know if it's just kind of like a family built it and then some guy's sister died in a car accident not as scary as going in there and knowing every person that's ever lived here has died by tragedy well that's the thing too it's like and that's (laughs) that's the problem (laughs) that i have with like a lot of these stories is like is like you are told something before you go in somewhere. It's kind of like, not like a placebo, but you know what I mean? Like that no, type of thing exactly where it's just like, yeah. it's, it's like, instigator. if Google you tell somebody, signs. if you tell the <laughs> the guy from the who or the, yeah, the manager from the who or whatever, if you tell him that 30 people died there and you walk in, you're like, wow, like I can feel this energy. But like, if you just sold him that house, would he say the same thing? I don't know. Mm. Some houses tend some have people a lot of do. About them. Like there's no, just no, but a, you know what I a mean. A way of standing somewhere where you're like, so it's it's kind of the complete opposite from the last episode I did, where like I'm trying to dig into these places of antiquity where they're so varied in their history. But in this case, it's nothing but modern history. Like there's a lot of history on that spot, yeah, but it's not necessarily tragic history. All of the tragedies mm. are very modern. Um, yeah, it wasn't perpetuated to be haunted during any of that time until the 1900s. Yeah, mm-hmm. late 1900s. So it's just kind of interesting. Like, yeah. Whereas before that cave, it has a crazy yeah. history of like spiritualism and worship, and mm-hmm. and now it's just like this abandoned place that no one goes to. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. So mm. anyway, check your facts, peeps. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew that that was going to be the uh, moral to this story? Anyway. anyway, do F- Factchecker.com Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's uh, jarring. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, oh man, did I just waste my whole morning what? like writing? But then I was like, yeah, no, we're just going to do a twist at the end and I'm going
1: to tell the story anyway because that's how it came across to me. I was like, oh, this is crazy. Oh it's- my god. This is so yeah, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, almost oh. like a local urban legend now, mm-hmm. right? It's like
0: for yeah. sure. That's what I mean. It's be- be- it begins to become tragic, and therefore they rewrite their history to align. Yeah. with what's happening? Right. Yeah. True. So. <laughs> wow. Well, yep. Okay.
1: Ah, but that was interesting. well,
0: I don't. <laughs> We should end every episode like that. Just be like, "And it was a lie. Goodbye." <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I was like, "How am I going to approach this?" <laughs> like, and None of it's true. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. But then there's some things that just like, I'm um, and I'm yeah. sure there's some things that you can't you can't be sure. There are no facts of it. If yeah. it's, I mean, if you not know, like the first sure, time, like, bet, like the story like that I, I did last um, week sorry we keep talking over each other yeah Uh the one you were doing or the story i was talking about when they did the scottish ones the the mostly Mm -hmm. scottish ghosts um with the clan at the beginning there's no written history there that's just oral history from like yeah each clan telling it to the next one of hey how about you and and this and it's like it becomes a a morality tale right Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily true but like what do you have to work off of you have death certificates and would they keep like a like ledger of like who owned the property like how oh, do yeah, they probably know probably if yeah. you go to the city archives you can see who actually yeah. owned it and who's, they, they know how much it's sold for in a couple mm-hmm. of instances because yeah. there's probably es- especially in
1: and- a place like Venice like Italy had that like really upper like rich merchant class and bankers mm-hmm. and stuff like that so they definitely would have yeah been keeping yeah. records of who was buying what and mm-hmm when it was sold and all that sort
0: of stuff. So yeah. And it, yeah, exactly. So it's kind of interesting. It's it's interesting as to like the fanciful ends that a lot of those people meet. Whereas they a lot of them just died naturally. And if it was just a person that just died naturally and never owned that home, we'd never know about them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah Rodden Brown was a historian, sure. And he was doing all this research, but He's of little to no historical significance unless you yeah. digging into something that he wrote specifically about Venice in the 1600s. Until he becomes part of this story, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know, yes, it's a falsitude, but <laughs> it also immortalizes <laughs> them. So Yeah, it's kind that's of true. Interesting. So wow. yeah. anyway, wow. Thanks for listening to me lie to you for a good 40 <laughs> minutes. Uh, I promise <laughs> Thanks, we'll do Thanks, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Is... What a twist. <laughs> this is Marcy's M Night Shyamalan episode. Yeah, I'm the M Night Shyamalan of podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, follow us on Instagram. We'll post all those pictures up there, except for the panorama that is on yeah. Wikipedia. If you just look at the Venice Wikipedia, um, page with like the history of Venice. it's right mm-hmm. in the middle of the page it's a real cool picture so and there's lots mm-hmm. of other pictures it's way page. too thin for me to post so oh yeah you won't be able to. See yeah thing. yeah i'm just explaining why i can't post it <laughs> but uh, it's pretty cool check it out oh sorry i woke up so early this morning and now i'm crashing yeah, <laughs> yeah. Have to dig a little crashing nap. at 11 30 <laughs> <laughs> afternoon nap yeah okay all right, thanks, guys. Bye. Facebook, Instagram, the whole biz, the shebang, the whole, the whole, <laughs> the shebang. whole shebang, it's all shebang, the whole canoodle, <laughs> rumble <Rum-a-da-roo. laughs> the <laughs>